Um, this morning we're going to jump right into Scripture. And um, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, um, I'd love to have you follow along with me. Does anybody actually bring a hard copy Bible to church anymore? Does anybody? A couple of you maybe? All right, some of you still do that. Okay, that's cool, that's cool. I just was curious. Um, but uh, we're going to be reading out of the book of Acts in, in, in chapter 1. And in the text we're going to be reading, Jesus has just come back from the dead. Pretty big moment in history. And he is about to ascend off into heaven. And before he does that, though, he has some instructions that he's going to give his disciples. We're in a series right now called, just simply called the Holy Spirit. And uh, whether you are a part of the church or not a part of the church, you have probably heard the phrase in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, this, the, the, the Trinity, we call it. God in three persons, but one. And uh, every one of those, those uh, aspects those, uh, is a distinct person, we believe. And uh, in, in this series, what we're doing is we are looking specifically at the Holy Spirit and, and who He is and what He means for, for you and for me. And this morning, we're going to read a pretty key text. And then next week, we're going to read um, uh, uh, the second chapter of Acts. But this morning, we're in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be reading out of verse 4. So this is Jesus. He's, he's speaking to his disciples. It says this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So there they are. They're, they're, they're gathered around. I don't know what they're eating. Maybe, maybe fish or something. And he looks up and he says to the disciples, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't, or Spirit, not Spirit. Um, I don't know about you, but I really like receiving gifts. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas, Father's Day, um, coming up soon. Uh, or, or birthdays, I just, I, I love receiving gifts. I, I just love seeing that box or that gift bag that's, that's carefully wrapped or uh, it just, it's just sitting there concealing some kind of mysterious something inside that box, just waiting to be revealed. It's a gift. What makes a gift a gift is that you don't have to earn it. If you had to earn it, if you had to work for that, it actually wouldn't be a gift. But what makes a gift a gift is that somebody cares about you and they, they love you enough to go, hey, I just want to be generous and kind and thoughtful and give you something that hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll find to be a, a good thing. And Jesus in this moment, he looks at his disciples and he says, I have a gift for you. And when I think of Jesus saying this to the disciples, you know, one of the things that we don't really capture with Scripture is uh, the look on people's faces. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the look that you, you have, the expression that you have on your face actually communicates just as much, if not uh, more, than what actually comes out of your mouth. And I don't know what you picture Jesus' face being like in this moment when he says, I have a gift for you. Um, maybe you just picture him being all serious and stern. But I kind of picture him being like a parent who on Christmas morning or at a birthday is almost more excited than the kid is to see what's in that gift. I kind of picture him in this moment with a, like a twinkle in his eye saying, hey, I have a gift that I have for you. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive this gift. You're about to receive the gift of all gifts. And then the, the disciples who are gathered around him, they ask him a question, and 
in the context of what's going on here, it's really a question that's completely out of place. The Bible says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And you know how sometimes in conversation you make a statement and, and after you make that statement, someone says something else and you realize that the statement that you made just went whoop, right over top of their head? That's kind of what happens here with the, the disciples. Jesus says, hey, there's an incredible gift that's on the way that you're going to receive. And they're thinking, oh, sweet. He's about to gather an army and he's about to take the, the Roman Empire out and he's about to set up a government here on earth with castles and kingdoms and all this kind of stuff. They're like, are you going to restore Israel, Jesus, as the global superpower that we hope that, that it will be? And I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus in that moment, I'd be thinking, Father in heaven, are you sure it's time for me to come back? Like, I think these guys might need a little bit more time. They don't quite seem ready for me to, to leave just yet. They're, they're kind of missing everything here. The disciples, you see, they want power. They, they want earthly power. But there's a problem that they have. And the problem that they have is that their vision is way too small. What they are hoping will happen is that the nation of, of Israel will become this powerful nation again. And, and that it will have peace and prosperity and all that. But Jesus is after something so much bigger. You see, Jesus also has a vision too. But it actually um, includes the entire earth. He, he wants them to, to go out and to, to bring this kingdom of God, not just to one nation, but to the entire earth. And he does realize that they're going to need power, not earthly power, though, something much greater. And so he goes on to say this. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then he, he says what are probably some of his most famous words. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they do receive the Holy Spirit. They are baptized in His presence. And in that moment, a change happens in the followers of Jesus that, that would, would radically change the course of, of human history. The ever-expansive, mission-focused Holy Spirit, like we sang about earlier on, comes and invades their lives. And, and everyone uh, the Holy Spirit feels is not just changed, but dramatically changed. And Jesus' followers, they, they go from being a group of, of people that are kind of hiding out in this room, afraid of the Romans who, had, who they just had seen crucified Jesus. They're hiding out, afraid. They go from that to receiving the Holy Spirit, to being this group of people that just sp literally spreads out, fans out across the globe, preaching the kingdom of God and, and the good news of Jesus. Total tra transformation. Um, two of the guys that are totally changed are Peter and John. They've, they were, they just, they've been cowards. They betrayed Jesus. They denied him. They left him when Jesus was at his hour of, of greatest need. But after they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they are so bold they're so courageous that the Bible says this. It says, when they, like the people around them, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They're like, that's Peter and John, the same Peter and John that, that we knew back here? But they had, they'd received the Holy Spirit and they, they just had, had been radically transformed. And then the writer of the book of Acts 
goes on to tell story after story after story after story of how um, uh, just how, how God had showed up in supernatural powerful ways. And I, I just want to, to rattle off a whole list for you this morning um, really quick here. In Acts chapter 4 verse 8, the Bible tells how Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, declared in front of, of powerful men who had just had them imprisoned the, the, the good news of the kingdom of God. Later on in that same chapter, Peter and the believers, they gathered together after having been persecuted for their faith. And rather than shrink back, they have a prayer meeting. And, and after persecution, you would think that they'd be praying for protection. You'd think that they'd be praying, God, keep the bad guys away. But that's not at all what they pray for. No, they ask God for more boldness, for more miracles to happen. And listen to what, listen to what happens next. The Bible says, as they're there praying, after they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with who? The Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Next thing we read about is, is how there was this incredible unity and this incredible spirit of generosity that was a part of that early church, where the Bible says they shared everything they had. Not only that, the Bible says with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. A little later on in chapter 5, the Bible tells about how crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed, the Bible says. After this, this massive persecution broke out in the church. Uh, a lot of them were thrown into jail. Um, they were flogged, the Bible says. They were beaten. Did they get angry at God? You know, sometimes I wonder if that had been us today, if you know, we had just been doing all these great things for God and just declaring who God was and people were finding Jesus and then all of a sudden we find ourselves being thrown in prison and flogged and beaten. I, I, I wonder sometimes if we'd be going, kind of, kind of like shaking our, our fist in God's face, going, God, after all that stuff I just did for you and now I'm being thrown in jail, in prison, but not, not these, these followers of Jesus. No, it's just the opposite. The Bible says that after they'd been beaten by the powers that be, they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Crazy. Next, in Acts chapter 6, we see some issues are arising in the church, and, and they needed some leadership because uh, they had been looking after the, the widows, and there was a whole group of widows that was being neglected with the, the distributing, uh, just distribution of food. And so there's an issue that arises up. And so they, they bring this issue to the, the leadership of the church. And they say, hey, and, and so the, the leadership, they go looking for someone to, to oversee this, this program in the church. And do they go looking for people that are really smart? Do they go looking for people that, that are running big corporations and big businesses? Do they go looking for people that have these bigger-than-life personalities that can attract the crowd? Do they go looking for leaders who are well-educated, who have nice homes and are people of affluence? No, the Bible says they go looking for people known to be full of the, the Spirit and wisdom. Question, have you ever thought of yourself as someone known to be full of the Spirit? No guilt, no shame, just, just a question this morning. Have you ever thought of yourself to be someone who is known as someone who's full of the Spirit? All these incredible moments, they're recorded in the book of Acts, and, and we're not even a quarter of the way through the book, but on and on and on it goes 
where there's, there's just incredible stuff happening. There's, there's this time where this guy named Philip, he is preaching the gospel in Samaria, and when he's finished, the Bible says there was great joy in that city. Can you imagine that after this morning, after we, 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 we gather together here, and we worship, and the gospel is preached, can you, be, can you imagine that after we leave here this week, as a result of what happens here, people are saying there's great joy in the city of Ferndale because God has just shown up. That's, that's what's happening here in this book. Then there's Peter and John. They show up in Samaria, the place where um, back in the day, John, this same John, he'd been hanging out with Jesus in Samaria, and there was just a, a big disagreement, a big just a hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. And, and John says to Jesus, hey, we should just call down fire and have this whole town, this whole area destroyed. Of course, Jesus says that's a bad idea. But here they are later on, Peter and John, they're going to, the, to Samaria. And, and when John gets there with Peter, they place their hands on the new believers. And the Bible says they receive the Holy Spirit. And then there's this Ethiopian ruler who surrenders his life to Jesus by the side of the road. There's the radical transformation of Paul. He used to be Saul, this guy that's persecuting the church and putting men and women in, in prison and literally watching as believers are, are murdered. And he has this radical transformation where he becomes the greatest proponent, preacher of the gospel of Jesus. There's the Roman centurion, Cornelius, whose entire household receives the Holy Spirit while Peter, Peter is sharing the gospel. Have you ever read your Bible and got the sense that something is missing in the church today? You ever got that sense? You know, just read through the book of Acts. Just start there. Just read, read that book. It's 28 chapters. You could probably read the whole thing in a couple hours, tops. But have you ever read the Bible and gone, something's missing? You know, I just read a small, small segment of the radical transformation, in, not just in the disciples, but in the communities that they lived in, and in the communities that they were preaching the gospel in. It's everywhere in the Bible. Drastic, drastic change. And if you've ever thought that there's something missing in the church today, you would actually be 100% right. It's because there is something missing in the church today, and that something, get this, is the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving through a body of believers who are fully surrendered to Him and filled with His presence. You know, I think if, if we were honest today, the idea of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is probably not something that we're exactly jumping up and down to have happen. And if we're just really honest, uh, you know, my guess is that there's a lot of us maybe who, that's the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, being, like Jesus said, you'll receive power. It's not exactly an exciting proposition for us. And, 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 and probably for good reason, you know, power, power, it can be a, a very intimidating, even frightening thing. Um, uh, uh, several weeks back, I shared the story about how I was in Hawaii and got stuck out in a rip current and I was trying to surf and felt like I was going to die and if you've ever been caught out in the ocean, maybe swimming during a strong tide, or maybe on a boat in the middle of a storm, the, the power, the power of that ocean can be, can be frightening. Um, this last week, YouTube decided to put a five-year-old video in my feed. I don't know how you are. I don't actually watch a lot of TV, TV, like old-school cablevision. 
to me, I, I love going on YouTube and just like scrolling through whatever YouTube puts up on my feed. And um, by now, it's got it kind of tailored, you know, it kind of knows what Rich likes. And so uh, this last week, though, it decided to put up a five-year-old video. And uh, the video was of a uh, tornado. And uh, I, I actually haven't been interested in tornadoes and weather patterns uh, in my YouTube feed. Don't know how YouTube decides that I need to see a tornado video. Uh, but they somehow know that when they put a five-year-old tornado video in Rich Warner's feed with the title Extreme Close-Up, and I see 37 million views, uh, they know that there's a good chance I'm going to be clicking the play button. Well, let me tell you about the video. I did click it. They were right. But in this video, there's this man and this woman. They're in a truck, and as they're in this truck, they're, you probably have seen some of these videos. They're chasing down this massive tornado, and they're having to yell at the top of their lungs because the sound of the, the wind whirling is, is just so loud, and you can't even actually understand what they're saying most of the time. can't even hear them, but occasionally the sound will die down just enough to hear them yelling above the sound of this tornado. And as they're, they're chasing this thing, uh, they, the paper is flying everywhere, and flatbed trailers have been thrown around like, like sticks. There's these power lines that are just cracking over like twigs as this massive funnel cloud. I mean, it's this cra you got to check out this video. It's, it happened in, I think it was Ray, Texas, and there's this road, and typically, if you've seen these videos, the tornado is, like, off on the side, and they're trying to, like, get around to the path, but this one's, like, here's this road, and boom, it's right there. I mean, they could, like, gun the gas, and, like, I'm flying right into the middle of it. I've always wondered, like, if they went into the middle of it, would they, like, Wizard of Oz up in the middle, like, Dorothy in the house, but they're, 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 they're right there, and it's, it looks like something straight out of Hollywood, destroying everything in its path, something that's powerful. And, you know, powerful things we're not always exactly jumping up and down to get involved with, right? And with the, the Holy Spirit, we're not just talking big waves or tornado-type power. We're talking here about God Almighty, the one who's so powerful— contains so much powerful energy inside of himself that he just speaks and galaxies are formed. We're talking here about God Almighty who promises to fill us with his spirit. And as we're going to read about next week, he actually did sound like a tornado when he first came. But think about this for a second. God Almighty promises to fill us. To fill us. To fill us. Listen, if you want a religion that's safe, that's comfortable, and that's just really easy to kind of wrap your mind around and get figured out, can I just advise you stay as far away from Christianity as you possibly can? We're talking here about Jesus saying, I'm going to fill you with, with my spirit. God Almighty inhabiting you. I mean, just think about that. We, that's, that's what we believe, that God comes and lives inside of us. Ours is the faith that believes God Almighty through the Holy Spirit wants to make his home in us. And on one hand, I don't know how you find that, but on one hand, I find that so encouraging and comforting and just amazing that God in, in all of his love and grace, God who is so holy and pure and set apart, in his grace, he would come and make his home inside of me. I find that so encouraging on one hand. But on the other hand, 
especially when you, you really know who, who we're talking about here, it's, it's a little intimidating. And, and with, with that belief, some, sometimes there's, there's fear. Author Francis Chan, he wrote a book on the Holy Spirit called um, The Forgotten God. And we have some, some guys in our church, I think they're going to be going through this book, but um, he lists some of the fears that we have. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he says one of the fears that we have is the fear that God might not show up or come through. You know, what if I go and I just fully surrender to the, the Spirit's working in my life? What if I, I just give everything to Him and nothing changes in my life? What if there's no fruit in my life? What if I don't sense any difference in my life? What if, what if I say, Holy Spirit, you know, we, we sang some, some songs this morning, all of just really asking the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. And maybe the fear is, okay, what if I do that in, in the things that you just read about in the Bible, Rich? What if I never see that happen in my life? What if that never happens? This fear leads us actually to ask for less. Maybe you've been wanting to see God work in your life in a certain way. Maybe you've been asking Him to work a miracle. Maybe you have been up against some kind of battle and you've just been asking God to work and He hasn't worked. He hasn't shown up like you wanted Him to show up. And what do we do after, after days and weeks and months pass? We just stop asking for less. And we start asking for less. We stop asking for those things. Maybe you've prayed for, for a move of God in your city, but when it doesn't happen, you just you stop asking. But what does Jesus say? He says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. In, in Luke eleven eleven, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And he goes on to say, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children— how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Another fear that we have is the fear that God will show up. <laughs> you know, on one hand, we're like, what if God— on the other hand, we go, what if God does show up? That stuff in the book of Acts, maybe you're going, I'm not so sure I'm quite ready for— you know, what if He asks me to do something that I don't want to do? Why would I surrender control— of my comfortable life. You know, my life's pretty good. Why would I surrender control of that to the power of the Holy Spirit? He might come along and mess with my 401k. You know, he might come along and disrupt my summer plans, cause some waves in my friendships. I'm not sure I want that. But here's something that you, you can be guaranteed of. When you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, and when you give him control of your life, you can be guaranteed of something. It cause you to resist, but but, but he will lead you outside of your comfort zone. 100% guaranteed. In fact, if you look back on the last couple of weeks, couple months, couple years of your life, and you go, man, it's been so comfortable, there's a good chance that you're probably not fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit because he will lead you outside your comfort zone. Um, Francis Chan in his book, he, he says it like this. He says, the truth is that the Spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or to do something you wouldn't normally want to want or choose. The Spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as He led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. The Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person. This is where it's so good. He will mold you into the person you were made to be. And this, this often incredibly painful process strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. So there's this, this fear of what if, what if God does show up? What if I surrender to Him and He leads me to a place 
that I'm not necessarily sure I, I want to go. And then there's the fear that things will get out of hand. So just some full disclosure for you this morning. I actually grew up in a, uh, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, a charismatic church. Um, last week I talked about how there's some churches out there that kind of take the Holy Spirit and just kind of put them up here in a box and uh, sort of put them up there on the shelf. My church was the exact opposite. Uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit all the time, and um, there was no such thing as keeping Him out of sight, out of mind, and uh, it, it was all about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit was talked about all the time. Altar calls were regularly given at, after uh, a morning service where, hey, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come down to the front, and people would pray. And I got to tell you, I've seen what it looks like when things get out of hand. And, and I've actually personally have had to work through a lot of apprehension and a lot of fear, especially as a pastor. You know, what if things get too radical? What if things get too charismatic? What if things get too emotional? And all these fears and, and a bunch of others that we could talk about, they're, they're normal to have when you start talking about a powerful being filling you. However, at the end of the day, there's, there's really only one fear that's a legitimate fear to have when it comes to the Holy Spirit working in our lives. You want to know what that fear is? The, the fear is a fear that we will quench Him. That will quench Him. Maybe you're going, Rich, what, what in the world quenched the Holy Spirit? What the heck are you talking about? Well, in the book of 1 Thessalonians in the Bible, there's a verse that goes like this. It says this. It says, this is first. Thessalonians 5 19 it says do not quench the spirit do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all hold on to what is good reject every kind of evil some of the other translations of the Bible they rather than say do not quench the spirit one of them says do not stifle the Holy Spirit another translation says do not extinguish the spirit and, and the picture here is that you have a fire that's burning it's got wood on it. It's just, it's, it's raging. And, and rather than let the fire burn, you come along and you extinguish it. You, you put it out. Now, there's a lot of good reasons to extinguish a fire. Um, if a fire is destroying your house or a fire is destroying a, fir a forest, you want to come along and you want to put that, that fire out. Um, if a fire has served its purpose, maybe it's kept you warm, you're, you're out on a camping trip, and it's, it's, uh, it's done its job, and it's time to put the fire out. In the Warner home, we have some creative ways to put the fire out. But you, you put the fire out because it's, it's accomplished its purpose. It's a, it's a good reason to put the fire out. But, but when the fire is good, when the fire has a purpose, you let it burn. And often, often what happens with the Holy Spirit in our lives is that we come along because he's, he's this fire. And the Bible actually says our God, he, he's an he's all-consuming fire. Fire. It's, 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 it's a, a, a picture to, sh to show us his, his power, who he is. And often what happens is we come along and we quench him or stifle him. And a lot of times it's for the same reasons we would with a natural fire. Maybe we think that he's destructive. We go, oh, there's all this mystery around the gifts of the Spirit and, and things like reading the Bible, things like prophecy and, and healing, and, and we've seen all the manipulation and even some of the spiritual abuse around these things that happens with some of those, the, 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 the people on TV and, you know, the, the people that are trying to sell you magic oil or whatever from Jerusalem, and we go, 
it, it can be destructive. And, and we, we, we just put it all over here to the side, and we, we, we end up quenching the spirit, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Or we maybe even are, are taught a theology that said the Holy Spirit and all that stuff that we read about in the book of Acts, healing and gifts and all that kind of stuff, that, that, that served its purpose. It was for back then. It was for back in the day when the church was starting. And maybe some of you came from a, a, a denominational background where you were taught this, that that was for back then, that that is not for, for today. And you're, you were taught that God used all that stuff to authenticate what he was doing in the, the church through the, the apostles and all that kind of stuff. This teaching actually has a name. The, the name of it is cessation, cessationism. And it's a teaching that actually kind of reigned supreme in the church, most of the church for the past 1,800 years, but over the last 100 years has almost completely gone to the side and basically disappeared. And it's a good thing it's disappeared because it's a teaching that really you can't find anywhere in the Bible, and it's a teaching that essentially extinguishes, quenches, stifles the work and the move of the Holy Spirit. And this entire teaching is, is pretty much built around 1 Corinthians 13, where it says this. And I want to just get into this just for a, a second, because some of you maybe came from a background that taught this, and, and you're going, I, don't, I thought all that stuff we read about in Acts wasn't for today. But the verse that is used to teach cessationism is 1 Corinthians 13, 8, where it says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues... They will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness, some versions, rather than completeness, use the word perfection, when completeness or perfection comes, what is in part disappears. And the completion or perfection that the Bible is referring to here is when we see Jesus face to face. When we physically look on Jesus and we see him face to face, completion or perfection will come. It's the second coming. In question, has that happened? No. To which the argument might be, well, that's referring to the second coming. It's, it's not actually referring to that. It's referring to something else. But here's the thing here. Even if that completeness or that perfection is something else, arguing that this means the gifts of the Spirit are no longer in use would also mean that you'd have to conclude that knowledge is no longer in use because that's used right in this this verse which of course it's still used it would only stand the reason that the holy spirit still works through these gifts and to say that they don't or that he doesn't is to actually quench or extinguish or stifle the working of the holy spirit in your life and of course like like most things in our faith maybe even all things Allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you with his power, you know what it all comes down to? Trust. It all comes down to trust. It comes down to going, okay, I don't understand everything about him, and, and <laughs> you never will. Let me just tell you that today. You never will understand everything about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You will never understand the, everything there is about the Holy Spirit If you could understand everything there is To know about the Holy Spirit He would not be God He wouldn't be God 
I mean, think about it. If, if we could wrap our finite minds around how a being created the entire galaxy with words from his mouth, if you could wrap your mind around that, he's probably not God. There, there's a mystery that, that there is in our faith, and especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And, and it all comes down to trust. Do, do I trust that my Heavenly Father, when, he's, when Jesus says, my Father in Heaven is going to give you a gift, do we trust that our Heavenly Father is good? And that in offering me the gift of the Holy Spirit, that He's offering me something really, really good? Even in all of His power, do we still trust that He's offering us something really good? Do I trust that when I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life, that at the end of the day, it's going to be for my joy and for God's glory? Do I really trust that? Or do I see the Holy Spirit as, as you know, I don't know if I can really trust Him. That sounds big and powerful. And, I don't, and, and especially when you say He's going to lead me places that I don't necessarily want to go. They're going to be uncomfortable. Trust. Do I really trust that that his leading and his working is actually going to be for my joy and for God's glory. Because something you have to realize is that God is always after two things in our life. He's always after our joy. If you think he's not, you don't know your Father in heaven. Your picture of your Father in heaven is the wrong picture. You maybe see him as an angry old ogre out in space that's just trying to make your life miserable. That is not the God of the Bible who loves you so much that he gave his own son that you can know eternal life. He is always after your joy. And he's always after his glory. Those two things. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's going, do I really trust that? Do I trust that the Holy Spirit, if I allow him to work in my life and to lead me and to speak to me, that it's going to end in my joy and God's glory? Do I trust that the Holy Spirit is a gift? Or do I just see him as a destructive force? Do I see him as that or a life-giving person? Do I trust him enough to allow him and even invite him to come and fill my life? And, and as we're wrapping up this morning, I just want to have you, you this morning have a moment with the Holy Spirit right now in this place. We believe that he's here. We don't believe that we just are a bunch of people that are gathered together and God's out there in space doing his thing. No, we believe that he's here. And that he wants to speak to you. And, and my question for you is, do you trust him enough to allow him and, in, and even to invite him to do what he wants to do in your life? The Holy Spirit is powerful. Jesus said to his first believers that the most important thing for them to do when, when he left was not to go out and build a church building. He didn't say, hey, disciples, when I leave, what I want you to do is I want you to get in a room I want you to get out some charts and some whiteboards and you're going to start strategizing how you're going to just preach the gospel to the whole planet. You're going to get some game plans in place. Come up with a nice vision statement, mission statement. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to start just recruiting leaders and, and, and go out and start building teams, all that kind of stuff. No, he says what you need to do is you need to wait. Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you will receive power. And it's a power that's good. 
It's a power that will transform your life. It's a power that, that comes in. He, he, when, when, we, when we invite him into our life, he comes in. He takes what is, what is dead and what's, what's broken. And the Bible talks about how he changes us and he makes us a new creation. It's a good power that we invite into our life. It, it's, it's a power that's good because he will, he will lead us in, 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 to the way. He will lead us in the truth. He will lead us to the life. He, it's a power that wants to give you and me life and life to the full. It's a power that's good because he won't let us just settle down. You ever notice that about God? He will not just let us settle down. He will, he will constantly make it so that our eyes see that we are living in a world that is broken. We are living in a world where there, there's destruction and where there's suffering and he will not let us just settle down and be comfortable doing our own thing because the Holy Spirit is an expansive presence that is all about going and, and making the good news about power that's good. And, but it's not the kind of power that's given by earthly means to establish earthly kingdoms. It is a supernatural power by the Holy Spirit that will empower us to, to live the lives that he's called us to live empower us to be Jesus in this world around us. And I'm just going to ask if we could all bow our heads and close our eyes. And I, and I just want to give you a moment right now with the Holy Spirit in this room. It doesn't matter if you're here, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've been following him for a long, long time. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. For all I know, uh, you could be here. Maybe you're watching online and and this is really the first you've ever really heard anything about Christianity. You've maybe got lots of questions, and you're wondering what this is and that's all about. And regardless of where you're at, I want you to have a moment right here. I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is here in this place and is speaking to, to you and wants to speak to you. And the question that I, that I want you to take um, before the Lord this morning is where am I at when it comes to the Holy Spirit in my life? Do I want to keep him at an arm's length because he's like a destructive tornado that's just wreaking havoc and that's, all, that's the only picture that I have of him and not maybe in, in your, your life or in the lives of people around you? Do I want to keep him at an arm's length because deep down I've I'm really honest today. I'm a little apprehensive about where he's going to call me and lead me, what he's going to ask me to do. I'm not entirely sure that he really is out for my joy. Maybe you're here this morning, you're just going, huh, I want whatever he's got. Whatever he, whatever he has for me, I want. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's so good that you sent your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said, like we read about last week, that when you left, you, act, you left, but you didn't really leave. You left physically, but your, your leaving physically was a good thing because you were going to send your spirit. Not some spirit that we just weren't familiar with, but you were going to send your spirit to be with us and not just to be with us, but to actually live inside of us. What a crazy thought that is. God, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's too much to even fully comprehend that God Almighty lives inside of us. 
the same God that spoke the earth into existence lives inside of us. The same God that parted the Red Sea when when Moses stretched out his hand over the, the waters, the same God that parted that sea so that the Israelites could walk through lives inside of us. The same God that went to battle on behalf of the Israelites as they're marching around the the walls of Jericho there and the the walls just came tumbling down as they worshiped and sang. That same God lives inside of us. The same God that took those five loaves of bread and those two fish and turned that into a, a meal big enough to literally feed thousands of people. The same God lives inside of us. The same God that, 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 that healed the broken, that, that healed that woman who had that issue of blood for decades. That same God that healed those lepers. The same God that, 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 that cast those evil spirits out of that man and sent them into that herd of pigs. Crazy story. The same God lives inside of us. In fact, your word says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. And Jesus, you're asking us, you're asking us, maybe it's not even asking, maybe, maybe you're commanding us today in the same way that you commanded the disciples, you're saying, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait. And then you're saying, like you said in Ephesians chapter 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. And Lord, I don't know where, where everybody's at today. Lord, I know that right here in this moment that, that, Lord, you are asking us to be filled with your Spirit. And Lord, you're good, and you're not going to come in and force yourself into our lives. You truly are a gentleman. You, you, God, our, our free will is a, is a big deal to you. So God, you're not going to force yourself into our lives. You're going to knock, just like that picture in the Bible. You're going to knock on the doors of our heart. You're going to ask if we're going to open our lives to you and just say, okay, even though I don't understand everything, I'm going to trust because there's something inside of me that's saying, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life. This is what I've been looking for. God, you're just asking us, are we going to trust you today? And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you this morning, just as a simple indicator, if you're, if you're here saying, yeah, I'm going I'm to say yes. I'm going to say yes to the Holy Spirit in my life. If that's you, while your heads are bowed, eyes closed, I want to pray for you. You can just stick your hand up nice and high. You're, you're, you're here saying yes. I'm going to say yes to the Holy Spirit in my life. Awesome. I see your hands. Heavenly Father, you see each hand that's raised. And Father, I pray that Jesus, they would be filled with your spirit. God, even right here, right now, in this moment, that you would fill them with your spirit. And that Jesus, you would, you would lead them and guide them and work and move and let them hear what, it, what it's like to hear your voice speaking to them. Father, I pray that that, Lord, they would begin, um, God, just a, a whole new level of surrender. God, maybe they've never surrendered to you before. God, maybe they've been a follower of you for many, many years. But, God, I pray from this moment on that, the, Lord, there would be a whole 
new desire and willingness to surrender to your work in their lives. And Father, I pray, Jesus, that we would be a church that God looks a lot like the church of Acts. And God, I think sometimes we, we, we can prop up the book of, of Acts in the early church and, and make it out like it was just all good and all amazing and all miraculous. But God, we, there was definitely a lot of brokenness, a lot of dysfunction. But God, may we be the church, Lord, that even in our brokenness, God, even in our dysfunction, that you have free reign, God, to work in miraculous, powerful ways. God, for, for your kingdom, God, for your name, we pray these things in your name, Jesus.